Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. She was a married woman who had not yet known love. I was wondering when you'd do that. Do I exist for you when you're with Henry? How can anyone be jealous of Henry? He has you. I don't. We inhabit the same house, that's all. You know that. In a time of war... If a bomb hit us now, my jealousy would end. Would that make you happy? Two people found a passion that was missing in their lives. Tell me again. I love you. From the director of The Crying Game and Interview with the Vampire comes the story of an affair. I would rather be dead than see you with another man. I've never, ever loved anyone as much as you. That had to end. And a mystery. I've come on behalf of the husband. She has secrets. Ah, secrets. That was only beginning. And you don't know me. How could I explain to him what made no sense to me? So there's something to report? I've only made two promises in my life. One was to marry Henry. The other stopped seeing you. Academy Award nominees Ray Fiennes, Julianne Moore, Stephen Ray in a film by Neil Jordan. You think love ends just because we don't see each other? The end of the affair. All right, so Cider House Rules. How did you like them apples, uh, Dennis? Mm, I, you know, strangely, I think I'm on the record on this podcast not liking uh, period piece films. Uh, this is one I liked as a teenager. I actually saw it theatrically. I don't really know why. Maybe unlike your your mother, I was a fan of all the Julianne Moore content that we were getting. Uh, but I don't think I'd seen it since. Maybe I watched it once on, on video. Um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and make myself sound like a total pervert. Really, all I remembered was the uh, the sex scene in this one. <laughs> it's a very brief sex not, scene. Um... Well bombs are going off around them as they're having sex so it's you know it's theatrical in that oh, way oh wait are we talking about end of the affair or cider house rules i thought we were talking about end of the affair oh i'm sorry we're talking cider house rules <laughs> well okay so i'm i'm starting to realize why you put these two together in that they're both mm-hmm. movies about people who have an affair 
in uh-huh. with the backdrop of you know a a war going on uh not very prevalent in cider house rules because it takes place in uh maine and we you know we don't we haven't had uh any actual uh war on like on our home front in 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 america uh but but in the end of the affair yeah bombs bursting in air uh i mean i can switch over to cider house rules there's there's a nice shot of uh charlie's theron's uh buttocks i guess but yeah it's certainly not as um uh not as titillating as the end of the affair actually there's a i read a bit of trivia where it the rating had to be upped i think in maybe the uk uh because of uh ray fines because of the the male butt the male bottom nudity that they got they found uh too sexually charged his uh his ass so um I, I just figured we'd start with the end of the affair just because uh, to continue to insult the cider house rules by yeah, <laughs> condensing it that. into this episode. <laughs> uh, and to be honest, it probably had, uh, you know, it's had a longer legacy if there is one uh, than the end of the affair. I think the end of the affair is kind of a probably one of the more forgotten uh, Oscar bait kind of attempts of this year. Yeah. So, OK, so you saw End of the Affair theatrically. I never did. I saw the end of the mm-hmm. end of the affair about maybe 10 years ago. Uh, and I had seen the original film, the original, the first uh, film version of this Graham Greene novel. And it stars Deborah Carr, uh, you know, and she was really she was really well known for playing sexual repression. Uh, that's basically okay. what we, you know, like like between. The King and I and the and the Innocence it's, and and uh, Tea and Sympathy. That's basically just you know it's just kind of what she did. Uh, and and I remember liking that movie. And when I finally saw the end of the affair, I, I it was sort of like more like a checklist kind of thing because I was probably trying to get through all the best actress nominees from this year. Uh, and I found myself, you know, uh, surprisingly enjoying it. And I enjoyed this rewatch. Uh, there are a lot of elements of it that seem very typical uh, melodrama, but then there are other things that Neil Jordan does here that kind of make it feel like like a puzzle piece that, that you're kind of putting together in your head as you're watching it. Uh, and, and he does some stuff with structure here, showing things from both of getting something from Ray Fine's character perspective and then getting it from uh, Sarah Miles' perspective. Uh, and, and I like also- that a lot. A third perspective, uh, at least in one scene, of what maybe they both fantasize happening, but doesn't actually happen, which yeah, was interesting. Yeah, that that was interesting. That, that happens early on, uh, and even from the very beginning, when when Ray Fiennes runs into uh, Stephen Ray, who who is Julian Moore's actual husband, and we get these really quick uh, cuts to just brief images of that that you know. Uh, are part of a sex scene uh, just from the way they're filmed and the way they're acted. Like, you know, that's, it's great hand acting there from, from Julianne Moore. Like it tells you a whole lot. Uh, right, right. It may not even be her hand, uh, but, but it tells you a whole lot right off, right off, right off the bat. And, and this could have been really typical. This could have been something that I think I would have described as easily forgettable, uh, but it's not, even though I do think you're right. It's kind of forgotten today. And Neil Jordan himself is kind of forgotten today unfortunately Mm. i i really like no jordan he was far more of a force in you know the 1980s and the 1990s and and he basically just kind of disappeared correct like i haven't heard of any movies from him in a while i actually saw one um was it early last year i think uh greta with isabel who 
Yeah, it was kind of a, uh, I don't want to say beneath him, but it's definitely like genre thriller material. Um, I enjoyed it, but uh, it uh, definitely felt more, uh, it's probably closer uh, to The Brave One with Jodie Foster, which got a lot more publicity, at least in its release in 2007, uh, and uh, definitely not as... um, intense as far as because that that deals with sexual assault and then turns into like a dirty hairy uh type thing uh but i enjoyed greta i enjoyed it because uh isabel who to be honest her getting to to kind of play in that world uh for a little bit um but you're right uh it's um pretty big breaks pretty much he took the last decade off uh for the most part from uh theatrical films and um let's see the the butcher boy 97 michael collins six interview with the vampire crying game like those are all uh at least for cinephile circles those would be big releases maybe not the butcher boy but uh, certainly the other three my favorite um, of his is is mona lisa have you ever seen that that is the is that the crime movie with bob yeah, hoskins it's a, it's a neo-noir yeah, yeah it's a neo-noir yeah. with bob hoskins and, and, a, and a prostitute character I believe, and, and it's really terrific. Uh, you should check it out I think if you get a chance. That got some. I think you you gave that some uh, some hype in our uh, our episode that no one missed. Uh, Felicia's journey. I think we talked about <laughs> Hoskins driving people around, <laughs> which also, unlike Cider House Rules, was a uh, film that got its own episode on ninety nine from ninety nine. Um, I, I like this one. Uh, I owned it on, on DVD at one point, and then someone uh, took it from me because I, I couldn't find it. I thought for sure it would be on my sh- shelf, but uh, uh, thankfully was able able to stream it. Uh, I will admit that I'm far more into the movie on the male uh, broken-hearted perspective. And, I mean, both of them are broken broken hearts here. Uh, but, you know, uh, Ray Fiennes opening the movie with This is a Diary of Hate mm-hmm. – uh, is you know it, it, it catches my attention, and so I'm I'm enjoying looking back at these uh, sort of highly charged sex scenes. Uh, this uh, this chemistry that these two have, they they fall into this affair together uh, through the lens of someone that is swallowing uh, a very bitter pill by having those memories. Like he just wishes it had not happened at all because it's it's ruined his life. It gets to a point in the film where you. You, uh, they reveal why uh, she she breaks off the affair and why he's now chronicling uh, how how miserable his existence is, um, and I I think I start to lose interest um, some at some point after that revelation uh, her side of it and I don't know if we want to give you know, you're you're big in giving a spoiler warning and this is one that I wouldn't expect people to have seen so maybe uh, before well, I say too much more. We can dance around it a little bit more before giving a, a spoiler warning, I think. And I, and I did okay. want to bring up the themes of the movie because I do think it's it's kind of interesting in that this is one of the few movies we've watched recently where I did definitely find myself kind of contemplating the, the higher level themes, which I, which I think was the intent here. And it definitely goes into a direction that you you don't necessarily expect in regards to religion, in regards to um the idea of of having a love for for someone or something and having to be you know committed to that uh, uh, above all else uh, even even if you're not together uh, and everything and I thought that would be something that you might you know reject and and, hmm. uh, and I get and and sure yeah you I mean 
there are certain aspects of the ending of this movie that that does feel does feel like it could have been like uh, I don't know, like like a Mel Gibson movie or or, or like some. Because <laughs> it's it's very hopeful, uh, or 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 to bring it back to like like classic filmmaking, you know, sort of like a Frank Capra thing, uh, you know, something very hopeful and, and kind of mystical and everything. And yet, and yet, in the end, we get like a really good. Uh, kind of final note with Ray Fiennes that, that, that I think if you wanted to, to be a hardened cynic and a pessimist and interpret it that, you know, purely from his perspective and, and really commit yourself to that, I think you could. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I didn't think, I didn't think you would like that aspect of it uh, when, when I was watching it. Uh, when it got to that point, I said to myself, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to predict that Denison's going to going to uh, reject the film at this point. <laughs> the other thing it's I funny, do like, not to, just uh, on not that to, note. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just quickly, as a teenager, I didn't reject it at all. <laughs> like it, it played to my uh, useful despair of like, this is <laughs> this is why things are not working out for me uh, with all these these high school uh, girls um, is that, you know, that, that, that distance you're talking about, which is, you know, I think in really any sort of uh, art um, that, that seems to be a, a pretty common theme uh, of, of love from afar. Uh, but it, it was the, the bitter uh, uh, almost like uh, vengeful uh, lust that this man has uh, in trying to like, we haven't even touched on the fact that he like uh, basically mm-hmm. uh, orchestrates this fact of investigating his own affair that has ended because <laughs> he's like the, he wants he's, to re-examine it. He was the original Facebook stalker here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I did like it. Um, uh, most of my problems deal with the the, the spoiler uh, spoilerly related things. So I'll I'll, let, I'll turn it back to you before we get into that. Uh, yeah. The only other thing I would say, the other aspect I found myself surprisingly liking is that we're introduced to this kind of amateur investigator and at first I'm thinking uh yeah this is really far-fetched I mean you know I had to believe this guy who has this kid who has like a birthmark on his face would be an investigator like he's not very good at it uh and then I realized okay that's the that's the point uh and I really like how they play that uh that character uh played by Ian Hart uh, here. Uh, I really like how they play that character up for humor in the, in the later part of the film with, with Ray Fiennes sneaking up on him uh, while, mm. while, uh, while Ian Hart is, uh, is supposed to be uh, t- like taking photos of, of Ray Fiennes and Julianne Moore together. Uh, that's a great little touch. And so, yeah, we'll give a spoiler warning at this point. Um, you know, I, I think it's a well-acted movie. I think it's a well-directed movie. Something I think people who don't like this genre typically, you know, should consider checking out. I, you know, I always have hangups when it comes to, uh, you know, the dying woman uh, in these mm-hmm. type of uh, melodramas, this type of romance. Because, um, you know, they, they stay beautiful. Uh, it doesn't appear that there's you know much wrong with them. They have a cough or something. It sounds, you know, maybe they have a cold or the flu. Um and yeah, getting into the, I actually didn't mind even on rewatch and I'm not like a spiritual man. I didn't mind, um, the pact, uh, seemingly that, uh, Julianne Moore makes to, to a higher power here where, uh, she truly believes that she has, has lost her, her lover here, um, due, due to a, a bomb being dropped, uh, near them and, uh, believes that her prayer um, and, and I guess their 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 sort of sin of this this relationship that they're having uh, since she's a married woman 
has caused it. And so she, she makes a vow, a promise to no longer see him, to, to end this relationship if this man can, can just live. Isn't I more ridiculous than you? Why didn't you tell me? I tried. Each time I tried, something would happen. That's mumbo-jumbo, Sarah. No, it doesn't work like that. God is in the details, Morris. You can't believe that. Do you believe in things you can't see? You mean him? I mean you. You see, I never stopped loving you, even though I couldn't see you. My mother baptized me a Catholic. My father was Jewish, so he never practiced. But she always said she hoped it would take, like a vaccination. I've only made two promises in my life. One was to marry Henry. The other stopped seeing you. And I'm too weak to keep either. The initial reveal I really like, and I, I like looking back on the, the scenes where he is trying to act like he's moved on uh, and trying to, to act like he has cared very little for this. I think he says something of the fact that, like, you know, well, you know, we're adults here, and we knew this was... We knew this wasn't uh, something grander. It was something with a ticking clock, and you would have to to go back to your your husband. and And uh, I'm fine. I I liked looking back on those scenes and feeling that that sort of tinge of uh, I, I guess longing in a way for these characters. Like, oh, that, this is a terrible situation that she's in, and he doesn't even know. But I did feel like the film kind of dragged a little bit uh, once we have that relationship, once we have that scene in her face when, when he comes back into that doorway and she's just uh, been at the bed praying. Um, I, I I didn't need as much of that, and it kind of negates like how quickly they they have her go through the process of death, or right? I guess how quickly the, that information is relayed to uh to the Rafe Fines character by the husband that, you know, there's been some bad news and they don't have what does he say? Um they don't even have like the three months for the divorce uh to go through. Uh it feels like the movie kind of rushes through the rest of that. So uh, to me there was there's, you know, kind of some questionable pacing uh once that revelation comes in. Uh, that I, I felt uh, maybe they could have expanded a little bit more on their time together once they know that it's it's at an end. So Roger Ebert, I think uh, he called this like the the she you know what what did they what did the character die of? She died of movie disease. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I, I believe he came up with it after seeing Love Story, where you know oh spoiler alert for Love Story, uh, <laughs> uh, Ali McGraw uh, suffers you know a similar fate. Uh, as, as Julianne Moore does in, in, this, in this film, you know, and... I've never seen Love Story, but <laughs> oh, I can't say you, I can't say you've ruined it because that is like all I know about Love Story. Like Love Story has been referenced so much, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the movie where that well, that started all. Let's just put it this way: it's not exactly a huge, you know. I mean, it's not exactly a big twist. You know, the thing begins mm-hmm. with that that piano, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, depressing violin music and everything. You kind of think, you know, yeah, she's not going to live. Uh, by the end of this movie. Um, and, and I could see that be, being an issue. In the next movie we're about to talk about, they go and see uh, a movie at the theaters called Wuthering Heights, uh, which has, you know, kind of similar melodramatic uh, tone. And I think you can kind of debate as to which of these movies maybe follow along that line uh, better. Uh, I don't mind it. It, it's, it feels more like a staple of the genre to me, uh, okay. of the melodrama uh, genre. Um, it's a lot better than it's a lot better and more realistic than the ending of the notebook is what I would say. So it's funny. The notebook is one that I, uh, I, I thought of, like, I don't remember if it was initially successful, uh, financially, but boy, it's, um, it's 
took its place, I guess, in its video days, where it feels like one of the the the, the last big uh, touchstones as far as these type of sweeping romances. Um, so I don't know, but I I like this more than you probably anticipated. This is one that I actually was looking forward to getting back to. I forgot how good uh, finds is in this in this this particular role. Um, Julianne Moore, not to negate what she's doing, but I you know she's always always great and she could really do this in in her sleep but uh yeah I, I i enjoyed this one i was looking i was honestly looking forward to this much more than i was the cider house rules so um in regards to this kind of relationship which i think both of us are agreeing you know there is a chemistry between ray fines and julianne moore here uh and, and the and you know you do have you have a vested interest in wanting to see them uh together did you feel the same way about charlize Theroux and <laughs> toby mcguire the, oh, the couple no. of of, of <laughs> no. that launched a thousand ships uh, <laughs> no 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 <laughs> in other parts of the world young men leave home and travel far and wide in search of a promising future the only reason people journey here is for the orphanage they wanted a girl, girly. Nobody ever wants me. I came as a physician to the abandoned children and unhappily pregnant women. Good night, you princes of Maine, you kings of New England. Why does Dr. Lurch say that every night? Does it because we like it? And so I became the caretaker of many, father of none. Well, in a way, there was one. Story time, Fuzzy. His name was Homer Wells. And it was always clear to me. My father's eyes had closed upon the light of this world. That he was a special boy. Homer Wells has spent his entire life helping others. You are a skilled and gifted surgeon. I'm not a doctor. I haven't been to medical school. I haven't even been to high school. Doubtless you will let me know when you're going to find a more gratifying life. I was wondering if you could give me a ride. Now he's leaving the only home he's ever known. I've never actually seen the ocean. Are you serious? In search of a world he longs to discover. I'm enjoying my life here. I'm enjoying being a lobsterman and an orchardman. In fact, I believe I'm being of some use. What are you doing with that candy, Homer? She's the nicest and most beautiful girl I've ever known. Sound like you're in trouble already, Homer. Mm -hmm. Sound like big trouble to me, Homer. <laughs> Miramax Films presents Tobey Maguire, Charlize Theron, and Michael Caine in a new film by director Lassa Hallstrom. This ain't none of your business. You even know what your business is, Homer? I can help. That's all I'm saying. I can help. From the acclaimed novel by John Irving. A story about how far we must travel. Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, I do not know. To find the place where we belong. The Cider House Rules. Given the... Uh... The, the age uh, and the fact that this young man uh, in this film has never left uh, this this orphanage slash uh, hospital of sorts. Um, you know, I, I have no expectation that he's about to find the one, uh, particularly under these circumstances where she, she comes to this place uh, to have an abortion um, right before she's sending off her uh, fiance, uh, played by Paul Rudd, who you totally forgot about. You just totally dismissed. You're on the uh, Tobin Maguire train. Uh, I, I don't think that's the filmmaker's intent, right? This is going to be his first brush with love and heartbreak and, 
the expectation is this is what a young person goes through, correct? Uh, you know, to me, and it's one of the failings of the film, it, it feels purely physical. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's problematic and, and, and kind of dumb <laughs> oh. and a waste, a waste of Charlie's Theron. Um, okay. Well, that is who wasn't a huge star at this time, but she had at least been in the rainmaker. Correct. By this point. Um, so, I mean, so I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan of cider house rules when I saw it, uh, back in 19, back in like probably the early 2000. Uh, and, um, I'm not a fan of it now. It, we 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 talked a few <laughs> weeks ago about how uh, it, about how a movie can be easy to digest and people can mm-hmm. maybe uh, praise a movie based on that alone. And I think that's kind of the case here. It's you know you, you you've got all the hallmarks of you know a, a great classic uh, film here. You've got the quotable line. You've got the good performance here from Michael Caine. Uh, you've got the period piece and you've got the love story and you've got, uh, you know, a backdrop of a war that we, you know, it's kind of barely touched upon. Um, but yeah, there, there's not a whole lot, you know, there, uh, in, in regards to, to subtext for me. So the, the, the title itself, the cider house rules, uh, Homer Wells, uh, played by Tobey Maguire here goes to work uh, on an apple orchard and the, uh, boarding house uh, that that the, you know the bunkhouse or whatever that they that they're living in has a list of rules and you know they decide to to you know to to, to just do away with those rules and this is really in the last fifteen minutes of the movie uh, you know it's really not talked about a whole lot until that point and so of course you're gonna try to look at this and say okay well why why did they why did John uh, what's his name why did uh, John Irving make that choice here. Uh, why did the filmmakers make that choice to, and, and, you know, and support that idea? Um, what does that mean to, to, you know, to the story as a whole? And the only thing I can really think of is that, uh, you know, they're casting aside the rules in the same way that Dr. Lurch, played by Michael Caine, Larch, actually, uh, played by Michael Caine, is tossing aside the rules at, at the orphanage by, you know, conducting secret abortions, um, you know, on women and uh, and also sort of, I guess, conning uh, Tobey Maguire uh, into the role of being the next director of this oh. orphanage. Uh, and, and, you know, they got a real, like, scheme going here uh, with, with between the, the drug addiction. And as a kid, I'll admit, I didn't know what was going on with Michael Caine. Uh, like an ether addiction is not really visually something that really plays for you as a kid. I it's thought a he, I thought he had breathing problems. Time. I thought he had breathing problems, to be honest. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, well, it's sad. You know, he had bad breathing problems, and, and you know. Um, but now watching it, it's like right off the bat. You know, he's a drug addict. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot for me that just doesn't add up. Doesn't really make for a satisfying cinematic experience. I also didn't care. I watched this one uh, in theaters uh, when it, when it came out, and uh, I didn't I didn't really care for it. You know, the, the honest reaction as a as a teenager was, uh, you know, it's not that far from what you're saying now, where it's like that's just too easy, and it's just like uh, too it's like too mechanical or something. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know. It was hard for me to feel particularly passionate about it, even though 
um, you know, going back to Charlize Theron, I more than just her looks, I did like that relationship. I like that particular situation that those two characters can find themselves in, especially in this time of war where they're in this in-between place. And that's that's sort of what I saw the, the Cider House is, in particular when it comes to those two, because in the off-season... It's just their own their own world, their own making, and, and time almost stops. And I, I think that's definitely a certain, uh, a certain type of uh, romantic feeling uh, that two people can have when they kind of fall in together, uh, and then reality you know, comes back and, and slaps them in the face. And um, I really like the scene between the two of them where she, I don't even know if she breaks it off with them, but it's Homer just kind of coming to the realization of, like, this is the way things are going to play out because... Uh, it's not like that the forces in play are so strong. It's just like the, it's what the, uh, the decorum of the day calls for. I mean, she's, she's not going to leave a, a now wounded veteran, uh, because she's fallen for this kid, uh, that's, that's, you know, picking apples at this point. And they just both kind of realize this is the, the point where it ends. And that way it is. That's also why I wanted to have it paired with the end of the affair that they just, these two people in love, um, don't necessarily fall out of love, but that they just they just have to stop. That's that's just how it has to be. I think um, that's I think that's part of the big problem with it is that um, and and this is his name. Paul Rudd plays Lieutenant Wally Worthington uh, in this movie, uh, and okay. he just he just comes off. So he's the guy who's originally with who's who's married to Candy Kendall here, played by Charlie Theron. And he just comes off as too earnest and, and too much of a mm. nice guy. And, and you, he really seems invested in giving Homer, you know, this good, good job and all that. Mm-hmm. And the, it hurts the film. And I know it's probably a little bit more manipulative in the end of the affair by having Stephen Ray be this, you know, boring, uh, you know, fuddy-duddy uh, and everything. Yeah. But it, it works better. Uh, you know, here, you, you, they never do enough to convince you that Homer, you know, just has to sleep with, uh, with candy here. Uh, and, and again, it just seems to be like they're playing up her physical looks, uh, you know, which is, it, it's very shallow. Uh, it's a, it's the most shallow decision you could make, uh, you know, as a screenwriter. And, um, yeah, it, it, that's why it always struck me as weird that this won the Oscar for, for best adapted screenplay in that John Irving is just adapting his own work, um, hmm. you know, and, and pro, you know, uh, apparently, I guess, uh, Michael Winterbottom uh, did a pass on on the script and, and it was rejected. Uh, and I don't know, I like listening, to, I, listening to parts of the commentary <laughs> on Cider House Rules uh, when they discussed the, the specifics of of Michael Winterbottom's draft. I thought, you know, that sounds like a better movie. Um, hmm. And what were some uh, of the uh, the changes, or what what direction? I'm forgetting was it exactly right now, but but it was it, 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 that I guess the relationship was featured more heavily as opposed to there wasn't as much cutting back to the orphanage. Which, oh, okay. to be fair, there isn't very much cutting back to the orphanage uh, here. When we you know after Homer leaves the orphanage, when we do go back to the orphanage, it's. Michael Caine and this silly, you know, concocted scheme of, you know, getting Homer to be like, who cares? Like, like just, you know, <laughs> get rid of all that and just have it assumed that, that Homer huh. is going to be the, the next director. It's far better if Homer chooses it, you know, as opposed to this whole, you know, as opposed to, you know, drug addict Michael Caine here uh, concocting this weird scheme with Jane Alexander 
and Kathy Baker, who are wasted. Uh, you know, two. I don't know if you know who, the, who those people are. But I, two great know, actresses, funny. and they're wasted as feeling. Nurse One and Nurse Two. <laughs> I had a strange feeling that you were going to have a problem with that. Like, just like <laughs> I do not like seeing good actors wasted. It's very frustrating. I will say in my older age, because one of the things that the big hangups I had with this film, uh, unfortunately was probably caring about the Oscar race uh, far more than I have in uh, many years. And uh, I, I was really caught up in uh, Tom Cruise winning for, a film that will be coming up uh, very shortly on this this podcast, and he was beaten out for for supporting actor by Michael Caine, and it just it just killed me, just because it's like, yeah, I mean, Michael Caine is nice here, and it's like, you know, I I, I like the relationship he has with with Homer, and I, I like the the speech they give him with the the children, and um, I but it just you know it just it's so pat, mm-hmm. it's just um you know it just and <laughs> I guess I've lost my edge. Uh, in middle age, where I'm just like, ah, it's fine. Uh, you know, uh, you know, nice older people deserve pat movies too, if that's what they want. <laughs> so be it. But as a teenager, I fucking hated it, and I really hated Michael Caine. But on this rewatch, I can't say I did. So like when you're saying don't come back to him, I'm like, I don't know, because I certainly care more about well, if you're what's going back, on at the orphanage. I think orphanage. if you're gonna cut back to the orphanage, have them doing something that that seems to matter. The, the movie night, weird... man. That's what matters. This weird, like, you know, uh, uh, he, he comes off as such a con artist uh, to, to a certain degree. <laughs> the, the fake uh, degree, the diplomas. Yeah. And, like, what is yeah. he, Frank Abagnale Jr. here? Uh, you know, like, like, like is he going to, like, take over Pan Am next or, or what? Um, That's a really know. good movie. That is a really good movie. And so, okay, Michael Caine, I think he's really good here. Uh, I'm fine with him having won the Oscar. I don't think he, I, I don't think I would even nominate him just given the, the strength of how many different great performances there were this year. I think he's much better in, in another very dark uh, role um, in, uh, the following year in a movie called Quills. Uh, uh, he's really excellent as, as the villain um, in that movie. And I would have much rather they had just kind of, if, if they really felt like they had to give a career award to Michael Caine, mm. a second one, uh, I would much rather they had just waited till uh, the year 2000. Is it kind of like the uh, the Birdman thing, where they would have just given it to Linklater for Boyhood, and then the uh, Birdman guy would have won for The Revenant uh, as his first Oscar, instead of going back-to-back? Well, Quills didn't get a whole lot of great talk or anything. Um, I honestly don't remember much about it. I think I watched it on video, but it didn't make I really, uh, I really like it. that much of an impression on me. Um, that's weird because you, you've talked about your distaste for, for seeing Charlie's Theron put up like this, this beautiful woman on screen. And, uh, there you are getting down in the mucky muck with your decadence and quills. It's just, I don't know. It's disgusting, Ben. There's actually not a lot of gratuitous nudity, nudity in, in, uh, in quills. It's all, just it's all very it. kind of gross. It's gross. There's a lot of gross nudity in, in quills, uh, mm-hmm. if to put it that way. Um, so yeah, there's a lot. I think I think okay. So another thing that I think we haven't touched upon what doesn't work about this movie to me is that Charlie Theron isn't really much of an antagonist for Homer Wells. The real no. antagonist is Doctor Larch, and the way that we see Doctor Larch and Homer um, interact with each other past the the first act is just through these kind of anemic, uh, dumb letters that they pass between each other. Uh, And that didn't work for me at all. My dear Homer, I thought you were over your adolescence. 
the first time in our lives when we imagine we have something terrible to hide from those who love us. Dear Dr. Larch, what I'm learning here may not be as important as what I learned from you, but everything is new to me. You're going to replace me, Homer. The Board of Trustees is looking for my replacement. I can't replace you. I'm sorry. Sorry? I'm not sorry. Not for anything I've done. I'm not even sorry that I love you. I think we may have lost him to the world. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a, uh, you know, a game of... Uh judgmental telephone i guess they're playing like the mm-hmm. the, the scene where the, the father won't come to the phone when the kid's uh, away at college or whatever because uh, he disagrees with you know what he's chosen to study in this case uh, apples and i guess charlie's their own uh, we've not talked at all about the delroy lindo subplot which i'm glad you brought him up i really i think he okay. gives the other really strong performance in this movie despite uh, despite the fact that i didn't like it i he made mm-hmm. me him and michael Caine made me want to like it yeah, I mean, the, probably the reason we've not talked a lot about it is it's you know it's it's certainly the darkest material and it's it's uh it's a lot falling on young Homer Wells' plate here. I mean, that's that's the other thing with these type of stories is like Jesus, he has like just so much happens mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. <laughs> the span yeah. of this young man's like trip away. Uh, no wonder he goes back to the orphanage because he's already lived a fucking full life of of trauma and uh you know hard decisions to make. So he's I guess prepared, but. Um, that's also, you know, part of the problem of probably the conversion from it as a, as a novel to a, a two hour, two hour film. Um, but I mean, I was glad I rewatched this one, I guess for this podcast, cause I don't know if I would have otherwise come back to it. Uh, I actually did another podcast on this for War Machine versus Warhorse, and we we lost uh, at least one listener who was <laughs> greatly insulted by the guest we had on. Uh, who knew nothing about the cider house rules, and he, he took great exception to the title because going in blind, uh, he thought it was going to be a young man going off and figuring out that living in the cider house ruled that it was <laughs> this is the place where everything was fun and merriment. And he was you talk about not being interested in talking about the Delroy Lindo subplot at all. Uh, he was not a happy camper, and I guess. Uh, the person listening was a pretty big fan of John Irving in the book, and uh, yeah, said we we totally missed the mark by you know ever making a joke about the title. But here we are now, and you're saying the title well, is what nonsense. You, yeah, what do you think about this whole uh, title? Like, do you think I'm right in regards to what John Irving was going? I don't, I, I don't think, think it works. But do you think I'm right? I, yeah, I think you're right as far as like what we're going for thematically. I think also it just sounds nice. It sounds like a book that a certain you know a John, John Irving fan base. <laughs> Would like that. Would like the because what was the other one? Uh, a prayer for Owen Meany, Miri, or something like that. That got turned into Simon Birch. Uh, you know, I mean, his his books just kind of have that sort of wistful quality to it. it. Just like it all, it just all sounds fucking old. It sounds. Like I like the world according to Garp. People. That's a good title. That's also. <laughs> yeah, it's not a sexy title though. I mean, it's very. It's a cousin to Cider House Rules. It fits. It fits for the John Irving joint that this is. I've never read any of his books. Um, I, th- I I have a weird memory of going to see like a a, a chapter reading with him in attendance. Like he read a chapter hmm. of like some new book, and and I want to say it was around the time that the door on the floor came out because I do remember seeing that, and that's based on a short story uh, by him. Uh, and that's a really excellent movie that not a lot of people ha- have checked out. Jeff Bridges. Uh, I have a feeling. Have you seen it? 
I've not seen it. Uh, I have a feeling think... that would be a Michael Dennison joint. There's a lot of oh, okay. uh, odd intrusions of humor in in that okay. film that I feel like you <laughs> would would probably dig. Uh, but I could right. be wrong. It's a, it's a it's an odd marriage of of really dark subject matter with some some odd uh, interjections of inappropriate humor <laughs> at times. Sold. Okay, yeah, you've got me there. <laughs> and well, so that's, uh, the Oscars. Uh, we should mention, uh, you know, like yeah, this yes. is like this is like this is basically the Miramax showing. You know, we can get you know a shitty movie. Uh, uh, Oscar nominations and, and win and big wins too. And we're going to keep uh, yeah. doing it. <laughs> well, you yeah, say that, you. you say that, but I hear this movie get, get often lumped in with uh, Chocolat, mm-hmm. which uh, is by the same director. Uh, and Chocolat is an enjoyable film. Like, like, it, like, like people, it's sort of like what you were saying that you were too um, focused on that, on this when you were a kid and, mm-hmm. I, and I do think when it comes to like chalk a lot, like when people start taking out all their aggression on on old weak uh, chalk a lot, uh, <laughs> it feels kind of stupid. Uh, and then and then also there's a movie that both uh, you and I are big fans of, correct? Uh, in the bedroom. Um, yes. Yeah. Which always got lumped in with the whole oh, Miramax, no. Miramax oh, no. pushing a, pushing an Oscar bait. That, uh, movie that has and, such a, a hard edge to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So people... they've clearly they've not seen it then, because mm-hmm. yes, that is that is. I would not recommend. Uh, you know, my grandma was a fan of the Cider House Rules. I would not have then said, "Oh, okay, then here's in the bedroom. Had fun with that." No, absolutely not. Um, yeah, and that's my point: is that people kind of on a surface level will like to lump all these movies together, and and that's not very fair. I think Cider House Rules is one of the. It's one of the one of the you know. There's, there are only a handful of these ones that Miramax really pushed hard and, and got lucky with that are, you know, in my opinion, not not worth anything. Um, and, and yeah, this is one of them. So. <laughs> what a depressing ending to the, the episode. Uh, I will say I did verify it because in our uh, off mic text message conversations about this episode, uh, I was just taking a shot in the dark uh, that uh, uh, the hundred foot journey is from the same director, and sure enough, it is. So I like that movie. That movie's pleasant, and it probably would appeal to a great number of older folk. But that one's enjoyable. I've rewatched that one a few times. If we could, end, you, you're, you're accusing me of ending on a, a dour note. I'm going to end on a high note. Okay. Uh, Lasse Hellstrom here. Uh, my favorite movie of his is What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Uh, okay. which, which I do think does not get enough discussion. Uh, uh, like a lot of people will say, oh yeah, it's good. But I think people don't really give it the, the credit it deserves. Um, and then of course the movie that, you know, launched his career, uh, at least for American audiences, uh, My Life as a Dog uh, from 1985. Uh, that's a really strong movie as well. Uh, I like, I like Lost the Hellstrom in general. Um, and I know, I know you should, you should put in a plug for your favorite movie of all time. Uh, you know, from 2013 with the the model, the fashion model, <laughs> uh, actress, woman. Uh, Are you talking about Safe Haven? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I was trying not to bring that back up, but that's another one that gets a, a, a rewatch every couple of years in the dentist and home. I like it. It's pleasant. How does it compare to, to the Cider House Rules? It's much better. <laughs> much better. <laughs> uh, you know, your accusation that... Uh, uh, Paul Rudd is, uh, you know, well wellness man or whatever his name is, um, is a, uh, uh, you know, they, they go the other way. The the other man is uh, an abusive drunk. So you have someone to root against in that story. Much better than Paul Rudd. 
And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99